We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by Run Pure Sports. Sounds pretty good rolling off the tongue for the first time. Run Pure Sports, if you are unfamiliar, is my new company. I have, as of a couple of days ago, accepted a position to be the director of all golf content at Run Pure Sports. I'm recording this intro on Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, uh, but this podcast is dropping on Thursday the 28th. So by the time you're listening to this, if you're on Twitter, this announcement that I am leaving rickrungoods.com and accepting this position to lead golf tent at Run Pure Sports, uh, you're familiar with. If you're not on social media and just a podcast listener, I wanted to take the time on the podcast to briefly explain why I made this decision, why it was an opportunity I frankly could not turn down, both from a financial, personal, and creative standpoint, and also explain a little bit about what you can expect from me in 2024. If you're unfamiliar with what Run Pure Sports is, if this is the first time you are hearing the name Run Pure Sports. It is an all sports daily fantasy information company, website, content provider, and community founded in the spring of 2020. Uh, a couple of months ago, one of my closest friends and mentors in the industry, Matthew Wiley, who you've heard on this podcast multiple times, took over as CEO. Now, this was really the first time that Rumpier Sports entered my world because Wiley is a good friend of mine and we have been talking basically since 2022, early 2023, well before he joined Rumpier Sports uh, about the two of us collaborating on something together. You may be uh, familiar with Wiley, not just from his, his Twitter presence, his Sportlandia podcast, but as I've alluded to, he's appeared on my podcast, Inside Golf, multiple times, including most recently back in November when we talked about the future of pro golf, one of one of my highest rated episodes of the year. Um, Wiley is one of my favorite, if not my favorite person and friend to produce content with. 
uh, as I've alluded to, his appearances on my podcast, generally some of the highest rated and highest quality content that I produce all year. So the idea of us collaborating on something a little bit more than just the occasional podcast appearance was something we've been trying to brainstorm for months. Uh, and when Wiley took over as the CEO of Run Pure Sports, he immediately began to pitch me on what a collaboration could look like. And frankly, I didn't really think it would be possible because I was pretty content with my situation at my previous employers. And I'd also recently started doing a weekly show with Tambo, something I was really excited about as well. Uh, but while it was a good friend, so I was still very open to at least hearing what he had in mind, although in the back of my head, I knew it would take a lot for me to leave the situation that I was currently in and that I was currently really content in. Uh, and for me to leave that and take a career risk on a new opportunity like this, I was not just going to leave if he offered me more money. It would have needed to be an opportunity to be a part of something and have the opportunity to build something really special, uh, which ended up being what Wiley had in mind. And the big selling point for me is that, while as I mentioned, I was very content with my situation with my previous employer, uh, I, I loved working for Rick. I still consider him an incredibly close friend, but I wasn't really my own boss. I didn't really have the car keys to make macro decisions about content and really maximize everything that I thought I could do and could provide. Um, in fact, Rick was kind of starting to imply to me that he had lost a sponsorship or two. He cut one of my big shows that we did together, which was a pretty decent chunk of my income and his budget for the website, which he was very forthcoming about with me. Um, and he wasn't really in the position anymore to support all of the things that I thought I could provide and that I wanted to do with. Whereas Wiley said to me, I, I want to give you those car keys. I believe in you. I think you are the best at what you do, whatever your vision is for creating the best PGA daily fantasy content in, in the market is. We have the financial capabilities to support that and the creative capacity for you to us to kind of set picks for you and let you cook. If you want to bring your friend Kobe aboard, we believe in him too. Those major episodes that Kobe and I do every year, the most popular episodes on my feed, you should be doing more of those, he told me. If you want to do more shows with me on the state of professional golf and the DFS industry at large and random topics where we get to shoot the shit together, if those are doing so well for you on your podcast feed, why aren't we doing more of those too? We want to empower you to do that too and empower you to make kind of make an in actuality, any thought and idea that you were limited to in the past and didn't really have the opportunity to do, we want to give you that opportunity here. If you want to create an interactive community where you're doing live shows and answering questions and in charge of a Discord channel and you can bring on your Avengers-style team of who you believe are the best and brightest DFS players to do content with and be a part of the community, we want you to do that. This is your canvas. And 
between the foundation that we already have with our Discord, our simulations, our community, your content, your creativity, your editorial work, we have the opportunity here to do something really special. Um, so it was going to take a lot for me. As I mentioned, I, I was happy in my current situation. My responsibilities for Golf Digest were already going to start to increase in the new year. I was going to start contributing some work to Action Network as well. But Wiley kind of gave me an opportunity that I couldn't refuse. Uh, and I went to Rick and I went to Tambo too. And I asked both of them, you know, particularly Tambo, like, what would you do in this scenario? I know we had something, something good going, but I, I don't know if something like this is going to come across my plate anytime soon. You know, can you match this creatively financially? And, um, you know, again, a massive credit to Tambo again, who I cannot say enough good things about despite being a competitor to run pure sports he told me, I completely understand, especially the position that you're in, uh, probably getting married in the next two, three years, trying to start a family shortly after that. Like, I, I get why both financially and creatively, this is an offer you can't really turn down. Um, so I took the plunge and here's what you can expect from me in 2024, starting that first week of January, the Tournament of Champions all the way through the fall, every single week that there is a PGA Tour event. My Monday course breakdown article that I was previously doing for Rick Run Good, that will be live now every Monday on runpuresports.com. Every Monday afternoon, although I do think the first week it will be on a Tuesday because this Monday is New Year's Day, I will also be live on the Run Pure Sports YouTube channel recording my initial thoughts on pricing, ownership projections, accompanying course breakdown thoughts in audio form. This show will be solo sometimes. It will also be with Wiley, Big T potentially, but now every single Monday, not only will you get an in-depth written course breakdown, you will get this live on YouTube as well, in audio form, in video form, with initial thoughts on pricing, the opportunity to answer questions, uh, and my Wednesday final DraftKings thoughts article, that other big article that I do for Rick Run Good. That's not going away either. That will now be live on runpuresports.com as well. Every Wednesday morning, uh, also every Wednesday night, myself, Wiley, Big T, a rotating cast of friends. This may include Kobe sometimes. Who knows? This could even include RPS contributor Saul Goodman. Um, we will be doing an interactive live up until lock show where we give final ownership projections, answer questions, and so much more. Not to mention, I will now also be working with SaberSim, a partner of Rumpier Sports. That is now at my disposal, including all of my prior information. I will be working with utilizing the best sim optimizer in the market. I will be a moderator in the PGA Rumpier Sports Discord. I will be in there every day chopping it up, answering questions. So, if you liked all of my articles on Rick Run Good, they aren't going anywhere. They just have a new home. You can find them now at runpeersports.com. Promo code Andy. It's the same promo code for every website I've ever worked with. Keep it simple. So you can now get your 10% off discount using my code at runpeersports. Um, there are all types of membership options. If you want to give it a try for a week, go for it. I can ensure you you will get your money's worth. My recommendation would be all sports because I'm going to be all over the NFL Discord as well, chopping it up, posting my NFL picks. 
But if you just want golf, um, you will be getting everything that you got with Rick Run Good, plus that Discord, plus all of those two new shows that I will be doing. That is rumpyoursports.com promo code Andy to get you that discount. If you just want the shows and the articles and the Discord access, there's a plan for you. If you want Saber Sim and Contest Sims for the ones who are really serious about this, there's an option for you as well. So head on over to rumpyoursports.com. I would love to have you as part of that community. And genuinely, none of these opportunities would have arisen for me if it was not for this podcast. This podcast is what launched my career. It's the biggest reason I have a platform. It's how I reach the most people. And as I mentioned, without the podcast, I probably would have never met Wiley. I probably never would have been given this opportunity. So I'm eternally grateful for all those listening, for all those who have been following from the beginning, who have gotten to watch every era of my career arc, who have supported me through every endeavor. This is by far the most exciting, exhilarating, risky, challenging, robust, opportunist, opportunistic chapter of my career yet. Uh, and I would love to have you be a part of it and join this new community that I hope I can help become the number one place for golf betting and daily fantasy in the market. That is the plan. So rumpiersports.com promo code Andy to get you that discount. Let's win a ton of money this year. Okay, coming up on this podcast. I recorded about an hour um, of a very in-depth conversation with my good friend, Joseph Lamania, mainly on how distance affects the pro game. I recorded this before I went to Hawaii. I recorded this before the episode with Lou Stagner. Uh, I teased on the intro of the Lou Stagner podcast. I would have an opportunity later in the month to share more of my actual thoughts on the rollback uh, with one of my favorite people to talk to about this, Joseph Omania. So we go deep into explaining the entertainment architectural impacts that distance has had on professional golf, a deep dive that I don't think many have sunk their teeth into quite like this. So I'm very excited to share it with you final episode before the new year. So without further ado, let's bring on Joseph. All right. Joseph Lamagna is here. Fried Egg, Finding the Edge, Substack, Optimal Approach Golf. Where do you want to start? Uh, we got Bubba <laughs> Watson slinging trades like he's Dave Gettleman. We got Grant Thornton in Invitational Week. We got CEOs of, of major golf publications yelling that we've all got to just sit down with the Oakmont caddies about rollback and stop cutting down trees. This is... Uh, I was just telling you, this is usually the quiet time of year for me, and it's been anything but. Yeah, well, I'm super excited to do this. The last time I was on this podcast, we did a full-blown discussion about <laughs> why we might be optimistic or pessimistic about TGL, and then it shut down. So I'm hoping that, well, uh, it got delayed. I'm hoping that this episode maybe has a longer shelf life. Um, in terms of where you want to start, I would think we'd focus most of our energy on rollback because that's... Uh, <laughs> It's been quite a week. That's something I felt passionately about for a long time. So very prepared to talk rollback. If you want to talk about ROM at all, also down for that. So wherever you want to go, I'm good. Just let her rip. Have you uh, gotten a chance to to 
talk rollback at all on a podcast yet? Cause I, I I'm kind of chopping at the bit too. This is my, this is my first one that I've done. I did a long sub stack on why I think the rollback is necessary. And which that is, kind of which embodies, was excellent by the way. Yeah. That kind of embodies my thoughts on it. So I, that's kind of my like flag plant of, I'm just going to point people to that. If, they have questions for why I think it's necessary in the professional game. I have heard from some people that it's changed their mind on it and that it makes them pro rollback. So that's all I've done. But I would say like watching golf, analyzing golf, talking to players like for years, every time I watch a golf tournament, I'm like, okay, rollback would be beneficial. So this is this week's been the culmination of <laughs> a lot of work. And I obviously feel strongly about it. So I am pro rollback. And if that's uh, a bias that, if, if people want to go here from from the other side, there's plenty of people putting those talking points out there on social media, but I'd be happy to refute them. Yeah, plenty of vindication for uh, people like you and I ha- that have been yelling about this from year, but for years. But I think we'll do a pretty good job in this podcast of laying out a lot of the common concerns and pushbacks that I've seen on the internet and actually addressing those head on because I have a lot of responses to some of the most common criticisms and i know you do as well so this is obviously a topic that we are both i believe share the same opinion about that doesn't mean that we're not going to address what some of the people are saying on the other side and hopefully provide a little bit more insight and perspective of why we're in the situation and position that we are in today and why we actually believe that ultimately may be a good thing for the game of golf in the long term. If anyone's been living under a rock, just to zoom out uh, for a second and share kind of the nuts and bolts of what happened and what we're actually talking about. This was first reported by Mike Strachura, Strachura at Golf Digest. Last Friday night, the, the good old Friday night news dump, and he reported that the RNA and USGA are expected to announce that they will be changing the rules to roll back distance in golf and not just for the elite players, Joseph. The expected decision would make nearly every popular golf ball played, both professionally and at the amateur level, obsolete, nonconforming, right? The test for the overall distance standard would increase the swing speed at which golf balls are tested from the current standard of 120 miles per hour to 125, which increasing the swing speed, uh, the test would not change the distance limit of 317. So the ball can only go 317 yards, but the way that they test it is now going to be at 125 miles per hour. So basically to dumb it down a little bit at a more elementary level, the golf ball is basically going to travel 5% less distance when swung at 125 miles per hour. The report comes out eight months after the USJ and RNA proposed a model local rule that was essentially attempting bifurcation, uh, a mandate that rolled back golf balls would only come into play for elite competition, right? And this model local rule would have effectively created, like I mentioned, bifurcation, which is professionals and high-level amateurs will play a different golf ball than the one used by the general public. The game was not happy with the model local rule, and there was strong pushback against this. So essentially the governing bodies came to the conclusion that a universal rollback is the best way forward 
Mike Wan, the USGA, and RNA came out the following Wednesday and officially released some of their statements as well on this. What is your main takeaway from uh, the rollout of this and what has been announced? No, no pun intended there. <laughs> uh, I guess the only thing I would maybe take issue with in your def- in that explanation, not really take issue with, but when you said that the game was upset with the potential model local rule for bifurcation like it's important to note that it's difficult to know exactly where everybody stands and often who you hear from are tour players and equipment companies tour players who are paid by equipment companies and equipment companies that benefit from the status quo and so when we say the game was upset by it there certainly was a lot of noise right there was a lot of people expressing backlash but it's hard to always know exactly where people land and what arguments they've heard both for and against a rollback, right? So when TaylorMade's putting out a survey, when when they're basically saying like, this is going to affect everybody, you're going to start to hit it shorter. We're really upset about this. And then they put out a survey that says, now, how do you feel about it? Obviously, the results are going to come back that people are upset about it because they just framed it in a particular way. So I would push back a little bit on the the game was super upset about it. I don't know what percentage of the game was upset about it, but yes, a, a, a lot of influential voices voiced that they were upset about it. And it's important to keep in mind that they're kind of incentivized to do that. In terms of my overall takeaway, mm-hmm. I want to focus more on what it means for the professional game, because I don't think there's going to be a significant impact to the amateur game. I think it will be overwhelmingly positive. And even if you lose four to five yards on your driver, which is, the expected estimate for decent amateur golfers. I think that, that I, I don't even, think it's going to be that even deal. feels after reading the distance report, that even feels like a little high for me. Yeah. For, and for most golfers, but let's just say it is right. Let's say it's four to five yards. I don't think it's going to negatively impact the, your experience on a golf course. I actually think it will enhance the experience on a lot of different golf courses based on the way the course was designed to be played. I know, controversial expression. But mm-hmm. in professional golf especially, I, I do think it's been reduced to a driver wedge fest. Yeah. And the strategic elements of professional golf have been reduced. And the constant scoring average is is such a loaded... There, there's so much going on in looking at a scoring average over time. But what's happened is courses have lengthen to the extent they can. They try to be as firm as possible, grow off their up. They're, they're pushing every possible boundary to keep the scoring average at a reasonable level. And it's not sustainable. And I would also argue, which is kind of the entire point of my Substack that I'd point people to, that narrowing golf courses and growing up the rough fundamentally compromises shot value on the PGA Tour. When you remove space for the ball to bounce, you remove that skill. Part of hitting the ball online and being an accurate driver of the golf ball, accurate long iron player is being able to control the ball once it hits the ground. And the more you narrow landing areas, grow up rough, use water to increase scoring average, you're actually reducing the amount of skill that's involved in controlling the golf ball. So I think we're going to see, even though it's small, and I'd probably like to see a bigger change happen. Yeah. Maybe see the driver head shrunk. Uh, you're going to see some of those principles restored, and it's a better version of the sport. So uh, a lot of ways we can go here. I have a lot of analogies, but uh, that those are my initial thoughts. And I, I want to kind of focus on the professional game, especially since that's more my area of expertise. Me as well. And we're going to give a lot of, we're going to allocate a lot of time to that. I want to, there was a lot in there that you just said. So I kind of want to go point by point and, and start from the top and work our way down a little bit. 
in terms of the why we didn't get bifurcation, uh, right, where you kind of started with the equipment companies and the interest, the vested interest of tour pros, this is a question that I've gotten a lot and I've seen posed a lot on Twitter. But can you expand a little bit on why bifurcation wasn't an option? And why people, why somebody at, say, a Titleist was never really going to, and maybe even a tour player, why those types of people were so against bifurcation? Bifurcation was an option, right? I guess when you say bifurcation wasn't an option, you're kind of saying from the equipment manufacturer's perspective, why did they have such an aversion to that solution? Right. Why, Um, why, why? was an option that got shut down so quickly. Yeah. And I I think it would be valuable to hear from an equipment manufacturer. This isn't necessarily my area of expertise. I've tried. I I reached out to a couple of Titleist reps, no response yet. None of the, none of the Titleists have done any meet. None of the Titleist reps have done a single shred of media in the last week, which was surprising to me. I've talked to some, some people in the equipment uh, industry. What I understand is, it it would require you to have factory settings in in multiple multiple different factory settings, right? You'd have to have production lines for professional golfers, but you'd also have to have production lines for amateur golfers and just maintaining those. There's a lot of R and D expenses that could reduce their overall profitability. Like I think there are arguments that maintaining two different sets of rules is, is expensive operationally for an equipment manufacturer. There's, you know, there are plenty of people who who will at least argue that. It also results in a world where uh, amateur golfers aren't playing the same equipment as professional golfers, and that a fundamental a part of the appeal of golf is that you can play with the same equipment as pros. So bifurcation immediately removes that. Absolutely, and, one of their biggest marketing weapons, right? You know, play the ball that John Rahm plays, play the ball that Rory McIlroy plays, right? Right. And and that point, like I, I actually don't think that's why people enjoy playing golf, but that's just my opinion, right? Yeah. Well, the part of it that falls apart of that particular argument is we're not playing the same equipment as professional golfers. Like they get all kinds of customizations immediately. Right. And if you wanted to to replicate that, I mean, it'd be like the most expensive endeavor on your end to play the exact same equipment that a professional golfer is playing. They get their specs are so customized. And it wouldn't make you a better golfer equipment. either. Yeah. <laughs> and and how many golfers do you know that like if they have if they find a golf ball in the woods, they'd play it, right? And and they and never thinking about does this ball fly to the absolute maximum distance? Or if they ding their iron, they're not immediately replacing it like a professional golfer is. So I just think this notion that the reason golf is popular is because the equipment directly is replicated from what professional golfers are doing is is completely misguided. So again, that's my opinion. And there are probably people listening who would say, no, actually, the reason I do love golf is because I can compare my scores. But you're not like, it's not the same firmness level when you go out and play. Pins aren't tucked as much as when they play. This isn't a direct, uh, you're not directly replicating the experience of a professional golfer anyway. Um, And even if you were, I think there are still so many good reasons for rollback that despite that argument not being strong, I'd still be in favor of it. And I actually think that a lot of the yelling at the usga and rna some of the funniest tweets i've seen out there and there have been a lot this week but have been god you know how out of touch are the governing bodies with the common man right and 
what I would say to that is, no, this is, they actually did years and years and years of research on this. This is happening because of, like you mentioned, equipment companies, the PGA Tour and PGA Tour players. This is not the USGA. They tried. You want to talk about out of touch, probably follow your complaints once again with a guy like Jay Monahan, who was so staunchly against this and for her players. Not really Mike Wan or Martin Slumbers, who we can talk a little bit more about some of the findings in the in the distance report because I did finally comb through that last night. I never expected that in a podcast in December, Joseph, uh, on Grant Thornton Invitational Week, I would be reading to you and talking about advanced API aerodynamics and mowing heights. But uh, but here we are. Yeah, and again, there's just so many different angles to this. One, this might not be like my single strongest example, right? But one mm-hmm. that I think is worth talking about, just this idea of the way a golf course is designed to be played, right? I'll die for that concept. I think it's really important and that any sport... Yeah, let's any, get into that because I feel pretty passionately about that too. Well, any sport, any board game, like the rules are important. And when they get out of balance, if you can rewrite the rules a little bit to make sure that gameplay is maximized, that's what you do in any sport, right? It's happening in the NFL. It's happening in the NBA. They're trying to maximize the value of, I mean, shot value, right? In their respective sports. It's not shot value in the NFL, but it's it's shot value in golf. So like one, one example, right? I know I'm using one example on a golf course that was built in 1964, but I grew up at Crooked Stick, which Pete Dye lived there, spent plenty of time in Pete Dye's groups, listening to him talk about certain holes, uh, hosted the 1991 PGA where John Daly won. Much more recently, it's hosted the 2012 BMW, won by Rory McIlroy. 2016 was won by Dustin Johnson. So a golf course that was built a while ago uh, has struggled to keep up with modern technology, but hosts professional events. Not as much in the last eight years, but uh, 2016 was the last time. There's a hole, hole 11, right? It's a par five, and there's a big hill that's maybe uh, two. Depends what tees you're playing, but let's say 285 to 295 off of the tee. The reason that hill exists like it does is to kind of deaden shots when they land into that hill, so that players have a long iron over these really difficult strategic bunkers that kind of line the right side of the hole leading up to the green from like 100 yards up to the green. So you hit the drive, the the hills can kind of kill it for the longest players, and then uh, you're hitting a long iron, a very demanding long iron into that green. The problem is that the more distance has increased, there's nowhere for that tee box to go back. And you get to a point where the longest professional golfers start to hit the ball over the hill, right? Yeah. And it starts to roll down the hill, and it leaves them with a seven iron into a hole that was designed right to have a long iron up up, except that approach shot now somebody might say that that the value of that hole hasn't been compromised right it's uh now you're just going to see more birdies and eagles and that's exciting for fans fans want to see birdies and eagles but i would argue that 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 hole has fundamentally been destroyed right that now the longest players can go over a hill and they're hitting a shot that doesn't have to bounce a lot into the green It, it completely has deviated from the game board that was uh, laid out by the people who designed the game. And if there's another sport, right? Like chess, risk, Catan, name your sport. 
where you find some kind of advantage that the more you just pound that advantage, it reduces gameplay and, and every it, it, what becomes optimal, just everyone's doing the same thing. That game wouldn't be fun anymore. And no. the people who designed the game would look for ways to remedy that. The, the idea that you can't do that in professional golf, that you just have to let the game board sit as it is and as distance compromises it over time, just build new golf courses. It doesn't work that way. And even if I just used one example, right? One hole. That's happening on every hole in the world to some extent. Maybe not as much as that example I described. Yeah. Strategy is being fundamentally compromised on every hole in the world. I'll give you another tangible example of that, of a a more recent example of a high leverage golf hole coming down the stretch of a major championship recently where a 10% shorter carry distance for professionals dramatically changes the character and strategy of the hole. Oak Hill. That's a golf course that I am lucky enough to play on a regular basis. I probably played there a dozen times this past summer. I'm sure you remember the 14th hole, right? Semi-drivable uphill par four. Really interesting golf hole for amateurs. It plays completely uphill, guarded in the front by big bunkers to this tabletop green that Falls off on all sides. Long is dead. It's surrounded by collection areas, some really steep runoffs. And, you know, the longest amateurs can maybe reach the front bunkers. But for most amateurs, I've played with dozens of different amateurs this summer of varying skill levels. They cannot reach those front bunkers. So it's not really a drivable par four for amateurs. If amateurs had a really good drive, they have this 40 to 60 yard blind uphill pitch shot to a tabletop green, probably one of the most nerve wracking, awkward, testy pitch shots that I've ever encountered, right? You know, those shots on a course where you're thinking about it all round, right? I For, for me at Oak Hill, every time I play Oak Hill, I'm always thinking about my drive on two, and I'm always thinking about what I'm going to do off the tee on 14 and that 60 yard pitch shot to an uphill green off of a tight Y that's blind. Right. So for, for amateurs, for example, that shot brings true terror into your round. It's one of those golf shots that you're thinking about all day. And it creates this interesting decision matrix off the tee for amateurs. Do I hit driver and take on that really awkward pitch shot? Do I lay back with an iron and you know give myself a full wedge? There's bunkers on the right too that don't come into play for pros, but do for amateurs. So even if I'm confident in that pitch shot, I'm actually risking a 60-yard bunker shot, generally one of the most difficult shots for amateurs to pull off, right? Maybe I have the distance to get to the front bunkers, which is you know, a very easy shot. We've seen the pros pull off many times, but any shot that isn't hit perfectly, I'm in total no man's land on this golf hole. And because of that, it's one of the best match play holes on the course. And it's like, maybe I take my medicine and hit four iron pitching wedge because I'm more comfortable with a full swing to a blind green. There's, you're thinking about all of these different options if you are an amateur on this golf hole. Now, for pros, 
This is a completely different golf hole, right? Because there's no strategy to this hole whatsoever for pros, as as opposed to it being the most high leverage golf hole potentially on the course for amateurs, right? You watch that PGA championship and all of the pros, even the shorter ones can reach those front bunkers and just dump it in the bunker and leave themselves a far less intimidating uphill bunker shot. So the longest of hitters, the Rory's, they're going to hit three wood into the bunkers instead of going for the green, because you, when you bring long into play, you're cooked. The shorter players, the Brian Harmons, they're going to hit their drive in the same place with their driver, because that is the clear optimal strategy on this golf hole, Joseph, right? Just leave yourself in the bunker, take your medicine. So suddenly you have this golf hole that for amateurs that hit the ball less is one of the most high leverage, fascinating, fear inducing holes on the course. And for pros is one of the most least interesting, low range of outcomes, homogenized holes on the entire course. So as an amateur that plays that hole a dozen times every summer to see that hole lose its entire intrigue, have the concept of the design be completely undermined simply by carry distance. I'm sorry. That's a problem, right? That is such a clear example of how a 10% less carry distance for pros suddenly makes this hole infinitely more interesting because now it's not a foregone conclusion that all the pros can reach the bunker. And now they're bringing in a much wider range of outcomes. If you can't reach that bunker, it completely changes the decision matrix off the tee. And now instead of watching every single player in the field hit these uniform bunker shots, suddenly pros are hitting different clubs off the tee. You're watching 60-yard delicate pitch shots. Shot making is injected into this hole down the stretch at an iconic major championship venue and completely changes the outcome of this tournament and how we watch pros play this tournament. And Joseph, between the two of us, we could give you 800 examples of this. But do Actually, not tell me that a, a 10% shorter carry distance for pros is going to dramatically change the strategy of these golf courses. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I don't want to hammer people over the head uh, with examples, but people might not be familiar with Oak Hill. That hole was really boring for the PGA. They might not be familiar with Cricket Stick. That's fine. I want to give you one example. I'll be concise that everyone should know. You and I just referred to two golf courses that were built a long time ago. I'll mention one that's really famous that is constantly being updated, even though it was built a long time ago. Augusta National, right? The 13th hole, I think if you can understand the development of the 13th 13th hole start to finish, it paints a really good use case for rollback. The 13th hole at Augusta, right? Dog leg left. A lot of people are familiar with that hole. Uh, hopefully people are familiar with how much that hole contours from right to left. And the, the point is, if you can hit a draw off that tee, the farther left you go, the flatter of a lie you have into the green. Okay. So the green kind of sits at an angle that accepts a fade, right? A left to right ball flight. But the fairway, the ball is going to end up above your feet, which makes it very difficult to hit a ball with that ball flight. That is the beauty of the hole. Okay. The farther left you go, the more of an advantage you have. So accuracy is rewarded. Over time, that hole became so short for professional golfers that when you're ending up hitting like a seven iron, you don't have to worry about hitting that really demanding long iron into a green that's tricky to control the ball once it hits the ground. You can just hit something high that stops. And so to to counteract that, Augusta had to build a new set of tees that went into effect in 2023, way back to finally restore long iron play. And that you'd have to uh, now again hit that long iron off of a lie where the ball is above your feet. And a lot of people complained, right? Said that this whole, not as many people are going for it now. It's like, you got to understand the shot that's being designed there. It's a brilliant hole when you have to hit a long iron with the ball above your feet into yeah. that green. And the, the, the punchline, that is not the solution. Having golf courses build tee boxes that cost millions of dollars. That tee box costs millions of dollars. And you have to water more area. You have to maintain more area to pull that tee box back. You cannot say to people, just build new golf courses, Just build new tee boxes. Just stretch the land. It doesn't work. It's not sustainable. The other thing that I would add to that too, in terms of the imbalance of skill sets that's being tested in golf, and this is something they actually broke down in the distance insight report too, right? But a lot of the distance gains have been like the rank and file guys catching up and closing the gap to the elites because it just takes significantly less skill to hit a driver now. One of the other things that they studied in the distance insight report that I thought was interesting was that. Basically, they came to the conclusion that with the modern driver, you are going to hit the ball longer with an off-center strike on the modern driver than you would 
with a 1990s driver if you hit the ball in the center of the face, right? So you have this represent representation now more on tour, which is just players who can hit it really far as opposed to guys that are really skilled with accuracy with their long irons, which I mean, like we can litigate that. Your mileage may vary on whether you like or hate this. Kids that are really tall are way more likely to become basketball players than maybe somebody with the shooting skill of Steph Curry, right? The fact that Steph Curry exists and keeps that dream alive for shorting kids, shorter kids shooting hoops in their driveway. That's like kind of the the magic of of basketball, right? Because golf is an interesting comparison. Distance isn't really about size. You look at the longest players on tour, Rory McIlroy, Minwoo Lee, Gordon Sargent. None of those guys are like 5'10 on a good day, but they have developed speed. And speed is a skill that you can acquire through speed training. And it's turned into now the easiest roadmap to become a professional golfer is to speed train. It's not to figure out how to hit a four iron with a draw or control spin with a wedge. And again, your mileage may vary on whether that's good or bad, but golf is for better or worse turned into less about hand-eye coordination and more about speed. And again, like we can we can litigate whether you think that's good or bad for the game, but that's just the reality of it and kind of a a more simplistic breakdown of what we talk about when we talk about things like the imbalance of skill. Yeah. And to, to that point, I think there are going to be a lot of people who argue, well, now if you roll back, if you roll it back, it's just going to benefit long hitters. I think that's really important to, I'll just talk about quickly. Yeah. There are some reasons why that might be true, right? Because there are going to be more long irons. A lot of that's correlated with distance. If you're hitting, you know, a long hitter is generally better with a long iron. You're bringing some approach distances back. There are some reasons why it's going to benefit a long hitter. There are also reasons why it's it's not going to benefit a long hitter. And some of those reasons are that there are a lot of hazards that have been built that now the longest players can carry, right? So Quail Hollow has an example. It's 15 or 16 where it's a long par four where you can carry the bunker down the right if you're a long hitter. Also, number two at Quail Hollow is a hole that a lot of players have taken over the trees down the left historically. Only the longest players who hit it high can take it over those trees down the left. When you bring distance back a little bit, there are going to be fewer of those opportunities where the longest hitters can carry a hazard that the shorter hitters cannot. So that is a counteracting force on long hitters being advantaged by this rollback. It, we'll see how it shakes out. I don't think you're going to see a massive shift in uh, overall who, which which kind of players benefit. I think you'll see longer players potentially with a little bit of an, an advantage, but not, not necessarily, especially on certain golf courses. I think you'll see players with good short game are, are going to benefit from this because you will be hitting fewer greens. But overall... This, this idea that it's just going to perpetuate the distance problem and, and long hitters are just going to get an even bigger advantage now, I, I do not think is true. What would you say another, another one of the responses that I've heard quite often on Twitter is, what would you say to the people that are proposing the idea that, hey, you know, this doesn't, this isn't going to do anything because somebody like Rory McIlroy, this is going to get proposed in 2030. Uh, are going to come into effect in 2030. The longest hitters have become so optimal at maximizing their speed that they're going to find ways to still hit the ball as far as they previously did. I think this argument is crazy. I, I have yeah, not heard it. a sound a sound rationale for it. The constraint on players 
hitting it farther now is that it's really hard to control the ball the more speed you're generating. So there is that constraint right now. The idea that if you cut distance back 5%, they'll just add that speed on and grab another 5 that 5% right back. Well, why aren't they doing it now? Right? right? Like and and there is an argument to be made that you know in 2030 players are going to hit the, the ball so long that we'll be right back where we started, right? What would happen if you didn't do anything? Right. right? Like, Thank you. Yeah. The players are already Gordon Sargent. There's a lot that look like Gordon Sargent that are coming, that are optimizing on their speed. They're going to make courses even more obsolete. Inaction uh, was, was just not an option here. And that's the same message that's being sent out by the USGA. We could have done nothing, but the problem was only going to get worse. Well, that's the thing that makes me laugh a lot is I've heard a lot of people suppose that why would you do this now? Golf is booming. We're still in this coast post-COVID boom where we're entering all these new, excited golfers into the game. It's like, well, when do you want to do it then? You want to do it when golf is in a bad spot? You'd just be hooting and hollering about the same thing. It would be, it would actually be even worse. So, you know, you get somebody like Ricky Fowler coming out and saying, yeah, we should have done this 20 years ago. Like in a vacuum, Ricky, I agree with you. We should have done this 20 years from now. But why is that a reason to not do it now? Just so if we if we miss the ball on something, if we don't do it 20 years ago, we shouldn't implement it now. And that's the thing that I think people are missing with this. Like if we want to litigate how much of a tangible impact that this will actually have, I hear you. Like I, I understand that there's probably going to be some golfers out there that by the time it comes to 20 and 2030, they're really not going to lose as much distance as you know you would have thought they would lose with a rolled back golf ball, right? But what this is at least doing is, and this is what Mike Wan said too, it's like, hey, we're at least ensuring that we're safe for the next 15 years. And if we have to have another conversation about this in 2050, then so be it. But doing nothing was not an option here. Agree. And I think what it also does, the golf hasn't had a lot of regulation publicly, at least in, in the last, let's call it 15 years, social media era. I hope this will normalize regulation a little bit and people realizing like, hey, every time they propose something like this, professional golfers and equipment manufacturers are probably going to freak out. And mm -hmm. you have to let common sense prevail here and get used to the pattern of of regulation reforming the sport in a way that's positive. Any one one analogy I'd love to throw at you and you can tell me if it's stupid because it might be stupid, but one thing I've been thinking about, I've seen a lot of people saying like, well the NBA, this is like telling them to raise the rims, like telling them to raise the rims. I actually don't think it's like telling the NBA to raise the rims. What I think it's like is if in basketball if there are a bunch of trampolines on the court and that's how you dunked was by jumping off of the trampolines. And over time, those trampolines have been easier and to jump off of because they're a little bit bigger now and they, they, they're they a little springier now. And it's resulted in a game where it's just dunk after dunk. Everyone's dunking over like just dunk, dunk, dunk. And it's reduced gameplay. A lot of the other skills aren't necessary. There's less movement on the court, much less skill, much less, less offensive flow. And so then the NBA stepped in and said, Actually, we just need to kind of reduce how big these trampolines are and how springy they are, and it'll result in a more beautiful game. Like, 
I know that's a, a ridiculous sounding example, but I actually think that's the analogy. It's not that you think they should raise the rims. It's that it's gotten too easy to jump really hard on those trampolines, swing really fast, and it's gotten way too forgiving. Like that that's the analogy I would use. Well, right. A lot of this is there's been some crazy analogies thrown out there, but if this would only fly basically if basketball courts were becoming way more expensive to build and that was starting to have tons of downstream effects on everybody else that was shooting hoops in their driveway. Right. And I've heard some of them, like I got one, I had one guy tell me, you just sound like the guy that wants to drive like model T Ford cars from the 1960s. So you think that we should roll back the car too. It's like, buddy, first of all, the analogy would be more apt if basically driving was an entertainment product, right? And the new cars were creating this sort of homogenized way of driving on the road. And we had to bundle that as some sort of entertainment product for paying consumers and customers right like this is really if we're if we're really getting down into it this is an entertainment product at the end of the day right and so all of the people that are saying like you old traditionalists that want these golf courses to be played as they were intended to be played should we go back to persimmons and roll the greens back to five or six on the stamp. Like, no, basically what we're trying to do and talk about is trying to find ways to make golf more sustainable 20 to 30 years from now and make the entertainment product far more engaging and exciting right now. Dude, I'm so glad you mentioned the car example because <laughs> cars are an example. Right, I I don't watch a ton of F one, admittedly, but oh. I have some friends who are super into it, and I think there's a, a pretty ask cool hard hard Bob golf ball about the F one cop. He's been uh, he's been yeah. all over that one. <laughs> sure, but F one <laughs> regulations are constantly updating, and, and I think the analogy here would be there are some old tracks that have been built, like Monaco, right? Mm -hmm. And apparently, right, I don't watch F one, but apparently that race now that the way cars are I don't know if they're bigger but they're they're faster the way they navigate there's much less passing I believe right this is secondhand knowledge and it, it results in a less exciting race because the the track's super narrow and it doesn't really allow for uh exciting racing between the F1 cars on Monaco versus some other uh tracks that are maybe a little wider and have some opportunities for cars to pass if that becomes too big of a problem F1 would probably figure out a way to regulate it so that that race is exciting again. Like the, the ideal outcome should be the most exciting race possible that requires the most skill. F1's not going to shy away from making regulations because all people want to watch is the cars drive as fast as possible. No, you want to see skill rewarded. Like you want to see excitement. And I, so I'm not knowledgeable enough about F1 to go deep into it, but I actually think there's some pretty cool F1 analogies to be made here. And this is going back to this skill piece right i remember i it's because i think one of the things that we need to address next to is all of the people saying okay i can get down with this concept 
that the pro game needs a rollback and may potentially be made a little bit more interesting with a rolled back golf ball, right? A shorter carry distance. But why does this matter to me? Right. And I, I would say that I think the distance problem is happening at a, a much wider, broader range than I think people are experiencing. I, I remember I texted you before the Oak Hill Club Championship and I asked, I said, hey, do you have any distance insights, strategy insights about that you took from the, the PGA, some advice on how you'd play this golf course? And I remember you telling me, hey, man, just hit a bunch of driver. Like, even when you think it's not time to hit driver, just hit, just hit some more driver, right? And I did that. I took that advice and I ended up playing terribly that week. And I still finished like middle of the pack because I just bombed away on every single hole and my distance was such an advantage, right? So you can find this at every single golf level where if you are able to generate speed and distance and power, you are at a massive advantage. The 250-yard driver of the golf ball is at a massive advantage over the 210-yard driver of a golf ball on a 6,000-yard golf course, right? And this is about this is about saying to guys like Cameron Champ sucks. Cameron Champ, I have good sourcing that Cameron Champ doesn't give a shit about golf. He spends like an hour a month on the range. Cameron Champ's not good at golf. He's got like more wins on the PGA Tour than Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon would kick Cameron Champ's ass if we're talking about skill in golf. And so there's all these wide-ranging examples of how we've created this system where whether you're a pro or you're an amateur, if you can generate speed and power, you are so massively advantaged over anyone else. And again, like your mileage may vary on that. Like maybe you want that. Maybe you want golf to be about hey, if I can just find a way to optimize speed and power, then like that's how we should train junior golfers. That's what I want this sport to be. To me, I think there's a little more to it. And I think it's I think there's I think it's a little bit more interesting when there's a broader range of skills that impact how good of a golfer you are. And basically, this is really all just about getting that balance a little bit more in check to account for all of the technology and athletic optimization that has been created over the last 20 years that they break down in the distance insights super well. And, you know, what are you going to tell people to do? Stop going to the gym? Like, they talked about all of these reasons why distance has been optimized. There's 20 pages devoted to this in the distance insight reports. It's aerodynamics. It's golf instruction improving, right? It's driver shaft length. It's driver, it's cavity back to irons. It's driver face impact. It's all these different things, right? And the easiest one they tried with the driver head, although hopefully that continues down the road. The easiest first step that they can take is, hey, let's just make the golf ball travel a little bit less far. And that would put us in the right direction of policing just a little bit 
this problem that has created this massive, massive imbalance at all levels. Yeah. So a couple points I want to jam in. I'll be concise. Athleticism, aerodynamics, all of those things being reasons why distance has increased is not a reason to not regulate. Those are Those could be reasons why you need to regulate, right? To bring the game back to equilibrium. So I don't like the argument, oh, distance hasn't increased because of technology. It's increased because of athleticism. First of all, it's both. But athleticism isn't a reason to not regulate. Like that can be a really good reason why you need to rein distance in a little bit so that courses play a little bit more as they're designed. They don't require you stretching them to their absolute max where you don't even have tee boxes to go back, require more water, all of that. Other point I want to make is that the key is to connect the dots on how course setup has evolved and they've tried to make it more difficult by narrowing and growing up the rough and how that perpetuates the problem of accuracy not being rewarded. That is the key insight. If you want a visual representation of it, I feel gross plugging my work, but like look at the sub stack I wrote on why Augusta works and rewards accuracy. Like, please, like just just if you read that, I think it paints a pretty clear picture of how this idea that you just bash away on driver it works better at oak hill than it does at a lot of courses where the dimensions are a little bit more to the specs of of a modern dispersion pattern so andy when i told you that you should just hit a bunch of driver at oak hill the reason i knew that was because the fairways are narrow and if you miss it just bounces and stops in the rough versus rolling into a problematic area the more you shrink those landing areas over time the more that becomes an easy strategy, right? The firmer that fairway is, and the if it just bounces, it stops immediately in the rough. You're going to have the same outcome with a lot of long irons you hit. It's going to bounce in the fairway and stop in the rough, and you're going to be 40 yards behind where you would have been with a driver. So this, this uh, notion that you need to shrink landing areas and grow up penalties, rough, water, that, that actually diminishes shot value. So I think the key is to understand how all these pieces fit together and how a rollback is a small part of a solution towards restoring some of that equilibrium. I wish they maybe had rolled in back, had been rolled back further, farther or, you know, the driver heads have been shrunk, but this is at least a step in the right direction. I pulled it up just now because there was, there was another key point, uh, that you hit on in your sub stack. Uh, you wrote, I thought this was really well said. So this happened right at the Travelers Championship, right? Tournament officials announced that they'd be making changes to increase the difficulty of the golf course. And you might be able to guess what the feedback professional golfers gave to that tournament. They said, let's grow up the rough. Let's shrink the greens. Let's narrow the fairways. And that's it right there. They conflate scoring with shot value, right? Growing rough and narrowing landing areas will raise scores, but it does not restore shot value rather it further compromises shot value and that is the cycle that you mentioned that we get trapped in right so this idea essentially that because i've heard a lot of people suggest this right i've heard a lot of people say well there's things that we can do we can mow the fairways less we can grow the rough up less and the problem with that is you're you're actually just creating a more homogenized way of golf and i don't I don't actually think that people really want, I I don't think there's anyone that could sit down and argue that watching golf at a Reese Jones golf course, you know, Torrey Pines, a winged foot is more interesting, but 
they can say, well, this is about scores, right? And and we need to more get of a grind. This, we we need to get the scoring problem in check. And it it really actually has nothing to do with scoring. I, I totally agree, right? The one of the suggestions I bristle at the most is well, what if you just cut fairways less? They were a little longer, and then that reduced distance, right? But but what you, that is fundamentally misunderstanding the problem then well not only that they studied that in the distance insert report if you mow the fairways a little bit less it's going to change like two to four yards on driving sure but even say that was good right say say reducing the shot distance was helpful right because we think a rollback's good so why wouldn't we think two to four yards is good here's the problem with it it reduces the amount you have to control the ball your ball is going to bounce and roll less like do people not realize that so much of the intrigue of the sport is what happens once the ball hits the ground? Like that is supposed to be a huge part of skill. Do, do people not realize that at Augusta, a, a wide course with big landing areas that have demanding undulation, like that is a huge part of the test is being able to control your ball once it hits the ground by growing the, the fairways a little longer or softening them. Like you're reducing how much it matters to be able to control the ball. You're not going to get a more skilled player doing better there. So that that's not the direction you want to go in. You want bigger, wider landing areas that are bold, that are firm. You have to control the ball and dimensions that are to the specs of how far golfers hit the ball. They've hit it farther now. We need to rein that in a little bit. I've gotten a lot of the, um, well, maybe we just like different music, right? And Listen, if you want to homogenize golf at the pro and amateur level, I got nothing for you. And this is probably where I'm going to get shit for, oh, you know, you're just some pompous architecture nerd. This is like the, you know, in my opinion, this is like the opposite of an elitist take. I think anybody that appreciates any form of art in life should be able to understand this, right? Like anybody who likes music, movies, urban architecture, fine art, writing, books, podcasts, sports, food, like every single person on this earth experiences and cherishes and leans on and loves art in their lives, right? And I think that's the beauty of it. So everybody loves different things and that's okay, right? I'm not a huge music guy, Joseph, for example. I use this example, right? Like I I mainly miss listen to music when I work out, I kind of listen to the same music. I'm more of a big podcast guy, right? But if somebody who loves music and studies music and appreciates music and music is their livelihood and their career is music, these are hundreds of thousands of people on earth. If they were like, all music is becoming the same today. Everybody's just copying each other. There's no regulations whatsoever. This guy's coming out with a song. The next week, the same guy's coming out with the exact same uh, the exact same melody, right? And we're basically on the radio. We're just getting played back the same thing every day. I would say to that person that loves music, that sucks. If that's what you love and that's how you experience art, like I can see how that's massively frustrating. And I'm telling you, as somebody that lives and breathes and sleeps golf course architecture and both of our career is studying golf course golf courses on the PGA tour and golf course architecture and how pros interact with golf courses um and essentially like spend my entire life doing this 
I can tell you that that art form is being seriously threatened and undermined by how far a golf ball travels. And you don't have to care, right? If somebody told me, hey, urban architecture, everyone's building buildings in the same way. There's no variety or intrigue to urban architecture anymore. I would tell you, okay, that doesn't really affect my life because urban architecture and the way that buildings are being built doesn't really matter to me. It's not something I notice. It's not a part of my life. But the people, but for the people that love that and care about that stuff, and I understand we're in the minority, like being told we're bad guys because we care and are passionate about it, it's so stupid to me. Like I don't, I don't care what floats your boat. There are people that spend hours a day on TikTok watching videos of cats eating cereal, right? I mean, if that's how you experience art and get enjoyment out of that, all power to you. But this concept that just because you don't give a shit about how a golf course plays and variety and how important this is to a subsect of the golf population. Like I would just maybe listen to what they have to say. I don't care about French new wave cinema or Scandinavian domestic architecture or anime or heavy metal, but I can appreciate that all those different things like bring people joy. Right. And if that thing was under attack, I wouldn't just tell them to fuck off because it doesn't matter to me. And I wish people were more just like, okay, you know what? If people are telling me that this is going to dramatically improve the way that golf is being played and test skill in a far more interesting way, like, okay, I'll just, I'll just go with it here and stop complaining so much about something that's going to have such negligible impacts on my game and my life. I agree mostly. I think the music analogy kind of works. I don't think it works perfectly, but I think what people would tell you is golf golf isn't getting worse. It's just changing, right? Music isn't getting worse. It's just changing. I think that's what the anti-rollback people would say. And what I would say to that is it's not just a matter of taste and preferences. I'm sorry, but like hitting the ball farther, you have more wedges in and it requires right, your, your dispersion patterns tighter with a wedge so you don't have to control that shot as much. The ball stops on the green more quickly, so it doesn't matter as much where you position yourself off of the tee. So, like, the game is degrading. It's not changing. It's actually becoming less complex over time, which is a problem. And I'm not going to use names, but, like, I've had architects, successful architects, reaching out to me right now and being like, I'm seeing some stuff about this rollback that doesn't seem right. Can you, like, do you have a perspective on it? And my perspective is different than a lot of those people supplying that data that's wrong. Like mm-hmm. they get it. Like the, the architects understand it, right? They're trying to build game boards that are interesting and it's being compromised by distance. So uh, I feel like we've kind of covered our bases. If, if people are still like, no, I want ball go far. Like I, I just think you need to understand some of the ways in which that fundamentally compromises shot value. 13 at Augusta is not more interesting with a seven iron in your hand versus a four iron. Like, sure, that could just be taste and preferences, but having to hit that ball with above your feet, 250 yards, 240 yards into a green that's angled the other direction is more interesting than hitting a seven iron that just sticks. Like, it is. <laughs> and by the way, I that's, again, where I take issue with some of the, oh, we just, we just have different tastes. Like, if you listen, what's interesting about the architects being so much on the side of pro rollback is you could probably make the argument that if a golf ball doesn't get rolled back, 
architects are going to have more work, right? Like they're going to have right, right. they're 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 going to be in a position where they're getting hired more so to continue to renovate and restore these golf courses right. that continue to become obsolete. And even they are saying like, hey, this really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like I'm on the grounds here driving the bulldozers. This is this is really stupid. Like something needs to be done, potentially risking aspects of their career to talk about preserving something that would, if it actually works the way that some people are hoping it will work, will put some of them out of these massive jobs restoring these golf courses. Yeah. And this can be the last point I make. I don't know how long you want the segment to be, but I've seen the argument that actually this isn't what's happening and that golf courses are shrinking over time. And so this argument that <laughs> length is forcing these golf courses to lengthen isn't true. They've actually shrunk in acreage. And that is such backwards thinking that you need to decompose that that argument for just, just a little bit, right? Like maybe golf courses are shrinking, not because they're maximizing shot value a different way. Maybe it's because they're constrained for resources and it's expensive to mow out, to have wider mowing lines and to water that area. Like shrinking golf courses is not evidence of health in the sport. It's not. It, it's a better indication of how expensive it is to maintain wider fairways and more tee boxes, right? You have to water those tee boxes. It is expensive. And sometimes it's just common sense has to prevail here to where people are saying that that's not a problem. It is a problem. And this is where the cost comes in, right? Where we started to really see this in the 60s where you start to get these golf courses with planned housing developments and longer and wider sense of tees. And this idea of the word championship golf course entered the lexicon and it became this arms race to start creating longer and longer golf courses because now it's starting to become clearer and clearer that if you want tournaments to come to you, you need to keep getting longer and longer, right? And so absolutely, you take this example, uh, a, a recent example of this is PGA Frisco, right? So PGA Frisco is this new golf course undertaking project that was built for a couple of reasons, right? It was built to not just host major championships, right? It's already on the schedule. I believe it has two PGA championships on the schedule in the next 20 years, but it was also it's also introduced for a bunch of like downstream effects for in in that area right there's going to be first tee groups and clinics it's a publicly accessible golf course i think tee times i looked are in the 250 to 400 range and a golf course like pga frisco if that's your plan to build and development it has to be 7900 yards now right like that is what PJ Frisco plays from the tips. Uh, I just looked is 7,900 yards. Now that golf course, because you have to build it at 7,900 yards, it's going to cost a lot more to maintain. You're going to have to put a far more expensive irrigation system in it. And listen, the reason why tee times are why greens fees are increasing across the nation, why golf is so expensive. Like it's not just because inflation guys, like somebody has to pay for that cost to maintain such a long and big and wide golf course. So, you know, am I saying that 
if we had the ability to start building smaller golf courses on smaller pieces of land, that would make golf cheaper. I don't know. Maybe the golf courses just decide that they're going to make more money. But this idea that the downstream effects actually couldn't have a positive impact on the cost of golf if we shrink our footprint, that's the one that I think people are missing on a lot as well. Like this actually, because I've heard people say there's this is shrinking the game. And it's like, man, like I actually think that if you really think about this, this could make golf a lot cheaper for the recreational golfer too, if we're actually able to start shrinking our footprint or at least start keeping it in check, right? And and minimizing it. So if we want to build another PGA Frisco in 20 years in Los Angeles, we don't have to build it at 8,500 yards. Look, I agree, right? Driving ranges. Now you're firing. You can't hit driver on a lot of them. Or you, if you do, it's going into holes that are beyond the driving range. Like there's there, there's just a lot of benefits to a rollback. Uh, I've kind of said my piece. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I've uh, said everything that I, I need to say. But I really do think it would be great for the game. It's not a step back in time. It's a step forward. It's restoring a lot of the beautiful elements of the sport. People who are advocating for this care deeply about the game. They're not trying to reduce how far you hit the ball. Like that's not their goal. Their goal is to to increase the health of the future of the sport. Right. I, I think it's a sensible solution and I'm actually kind of encouraged by some of what I've seen on Mm -hmm. social media. You have people like Rory McIlroy stepping up and I think saying the right thing. And I'm hopeful that this will be adopted and maybe further regulations to, to bring things even more in balance. So I'm pretty excited about it. How, how are you doing on time for your flight? Do you want to do 10 to 15 minutes reacting on ROM? I I probably got five minutes I can do on ROM if that's, (laughs) Okay, give me big picture takeaway. Rom announces it comes on Fox News in the Letterman last night. John Rom is going to live for somewhere in the four hundred to six hundred million ballpark. I guess the summary of my thoughts on it are that I cannot blame John Rom as much as I don't want to see the game fractured. I can't blame him. I think on June sixth, as soon as the PGA Tour entered into a framework agreement with the PIF, then they lost all credibility and and trying to keep players from leaving it's time to compete on product the pga tour needs to reform itself into a more competitive product and realize that john rom leaving doesn't kill the tour it the tour needs to get more competitive right they need to keep sponsors in their seats saying hey we're going to make a more exciting future a couple people are going to leave we're going to be fine because we're going to reform our product it's going to unlock a lot of value and the pga tour needs to modernize i think this could end up being good for the sport especially if some kind of deal gets struck but I, I am nervous that in the short term, the fracturing in the game is pretty concerning and it's it has elevated the major championships, sure. But uh, I think it's also resulted in a lot of people being like, well, why even play this event, right? Like, why even watch the American Express? Why even watch the Phoenix Open this year if it's not a d- signature event and John Rahm's not playing? Like, it, there are some destructive elements in the short term, but I cannot blame John Rahm in the same way that I haven't blamed any players for leaving. I don't I don't blame them for leaving. But it's time to to build a better product. Do you think this pushes last question? Do you think that this pushes us closer or farther away from a agreement on both sides? I don't know. I mean, I'm not in those rooms. It seems like probably the PJ Tour players egos getting in the way a little bit in terms of uh, they probably have some non-negotiables that. I would have two, right? If I were representing the PJ Tour, I don't know what 
the PIF is demanding. I don't know if it makes it closer or farther away. It seems pretty far away right now. So I'd be surprised, I guess, if a deal gets done, but not shocked because the PJ Tour might be in kind of a dire financial situation. I don't know what the sponsors are saying. Right. So yeah, I'm not sure. I think the only people that know that are people like Patrick Cantlay, who's reportedly taken up a lot of the negotiating here and uh, the rain group, what Colin Neville, like they probably Neville, have a pretty yeah. good idea of what this does, but um, I don't know. It, I think short run, there are reasons to be concerned about professional golf long run. I, I actually don't really think I, I'm, I'm not super nervous about it. I don't think it's going to become tennis. I've seen that this is going to become tennis where people only care about the four majors. Like I actually don't think it's going to go become tennis. I think it has a lot more intrigue than tennis does. Speaking of another sport that rolled their ball, their ball back, right? Tennis, what? rolled tennis rolled the ball back and tennis had the same problem. And I think it was around 2000, 2001, where they noticed that tennis was becoming serve and volley, a lot of serve and volley. And they, they rolled the tennis ball back and guess what? Tennis became a lot more interesting as well. You know, um, Crazy. do you know that my cousin is the number one uh, tennis player right now at UT, Joseph? No, who's that? What's her name? Elliot. Elliot Lack. S- no, 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 not Elliot Lack. He's my he's my second cousin. It's like Elliot. Uh, I'd have to get the last name, but I just found out at Thanksgiving that he's the number one tennis player at UT, and I think the number one tennis player in the country. You having to look up their names? Hilarious. All right, I will, I've, I'll, met the, uh, I've, I've met the guy like twice, but he's my second cousin. <laughs> all right, I'll go to a match and tell him that Andy Lack says hello and then we'll we'll see if he knows who you are yeah i've met him like one time five <laughs> years ago um all right joseph safe travels this afternoon my friend and we will do it again soon buddy thanks for having me i appreciate it. it's fun all right that is it for the podcast special thanks to joseph special thanks to rump your sports golf season starts next week you can find my course preview article live monday morning on rumpiersports.com promo code andy for that discount Happy holidays. A massive thanks to everyone who has supported the podcast this year. I'm incredibly humbled by how it's grown in 2023. I feel like I'm just really starting to hit my stride. I listen back to some of the stuff I put out even early last year versus the quality of stuff that I'm putting out now. And uh, I can't believe how much worse I was at this even a couple months ago. So I can't wait for this new chapter. If you want to support this new career endeavor of mine, if you are a fan of my content, Head on over to rumpiersports.com. Check out the weekly pass. Give it a shot for a week. We would love to have you as part of that community. I will be in that Discord if you want to hit me up with any questions. And enjoy the holidays. Enjoy New Year's. We'll be back on this podcast feed next week. Breaking down Kapalua and the Century Tournament of Champions. Until then, enjoy the family time. Enjoy the football. And we will see you in 2024. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop.